Are you taking a reactive or proactive approach to your taxes? Do you wait until the year is over and hope for the best when tax time comes around? Is your business taking accurate tax deductions and receiving all the tax credits you deserve? Welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge. Today, we will answer these questions and many more. So sharpen your pencil and take some notes. Now, here is your host, Marcelino Dodge. Good, fabulous day and welcome to the Tax Answers Advisor. This is Marcelino Dodge. We are so happy to have you listening to this uh, program today, whether it be live or on demand at a later time. We're just going to keep a rocking and a rolling here as we're on show number 44. And a little tidbit that I just am amazed at in this program is that it was one year ago today that I did the first program, my very first Tax Answers Advisor. And it is so exciting to still be with you here a year later with a worldwide audience throughout the United States, Canada, China, Sweden. It's amazing who wants to listen about taxes, U.S. income tax. That just totally amazes me. And when I started this program a year ago, it was, of course, with the goal to just talk to you, the taxpayer, whether you're an individual or a business, and just put it in a way that you can understand and then show that, indeed, we can be here to help you. And, of course, you listen to this on one of many platforms, probably either Apple Podcast or Spotify or maybe even through iHeartRadio, but wherever you're listening to it, once again, thank you. And I do a lot of work and I do work throughout the country through the wonderful, wonderful web. Got a lot of cloud-based software we use. And so you're always welcome to contact me. Anything we discuss on the program here today or on previous programs, the email success, cashtracksfinancial.com. The phone number, 844-394-4287. And of course, our website, which is cashtracksfinancial.com. And with that, in any of those means, you can call, you can set up a free mutual exploration session with us, and we'll be happy to do it through a Zoom meeting or another type of web conferencing, just to get to know you a little bit, to see if the programs we have to offer here are what you're looking for in trying to do some tax planning and just have general business success and taking care of a lot of uh, financial different matters for you. Today, we're going to do something a little different there in having tax questions and answers with the Tax Answers Advisor. Yes, it is an exciting day here for me, and it's been exciting because I've, uh, for a few months now, I've been looking for someone to really help me out and help to grow this business. And I'll tell you what, I think I found the right person. It took a lot of uh, patience, a lot of, oh, just grinding the axe, trying to find them, you know, just going through those resumes and everything, and which is kind of, uh, which is in a way a pain, but in a way fun to do. But then when you find a nice person like I'm going to have my new assistant today, help me out with some stuff. This is Tiff Tilton joining me today. So Tiff, I just want to say thank you and welcome to the program today. I'm happy to be here. Yes. So um, just moved down to our area because we're in little Southeast Colorado's where, where, where I'm located and Tiff was moving down here, and I really needed somebody to come in, and man, she just is going to be great. So I asked Tiff to join today just so she can get out there and people can get to know who else is here in this office, especially if you're calling the office. It's always good to know who you could be talking to, and you'll either be talking to me, you'll be talking to Tiff. So if you're uh, watching this on Facebook Live or through YouTube later, uh, these are the faces you'll see. 
if you want to talk video conference, or at least the face to put with the with the voice when you call. So it's always good to know these things. And so Tiff is a little new to the tax business, a little bit of accounting background she has. So she's going to be learning a lot over the next uh, few weeks and months. But I tell you what, she's going to be there. We're going to get some good training up and going. But so we're going to ha- answer some of her questions today that she has. And, I, and I, it's great because She's going to look at it and help us as, as someone coming in from the outside. Like if someone walks into the office, like, what are these questions? So anyway, it's going to be really, it's going to be really nice just to help you to understand a few things here. When I started this program, I always like to dispel various myths that are out there. And one that I'm going to dispel again is the one that talks about the rich people do not pay their fair share. It's interesting. They talk about the Taxpayer and Jobs Act, which was passed at the end of 2017. Now, these are facts. These are directly from the IRS. You make your choice and what you think, but these are the facts that you can go to the IRS website and look them up, which is where I went and got these details from. For example, the top 1% of taxpayers, which is the top 1% of the richest people in the United States, They pay 40% already of the federal income tax. Now, an interesting point about that is that that's for 2018, which was the first full year of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. They actually paid a higher percentage of the taxes in 2018 than they did in 2017. It was 2% because it was 38% in 2017. They paid 40% in 2018. Interesting, isn't interesting? Supposedly, it was a rich payer's <laughs> a tax cut for the rich. Well, it looks like they paid a little bit more of their share. Then you go into the top 10% in 2018. They paid that group, which is the top 10% of all taxpayers, they paid 71% of the federal income tax, of the total federal income tax pay set, which is more than what they paid in 2017, which was only 70%. So we see these two groups, whether you're in the 1% or the 10%, or if you're not, not in either of those groups, but you're, you hear all this information out there, it's interesting that a, such a small percentage of the population pays such a large percentage of the federal income tax there. Did you know this, Tiff? I did not. You did not? No. See, most people don't, and, and this is information you can go find on the IRS website. That's where I went and searched for it. I don't think they got the 2019 figures out yet, but I just found these a few months ago for 2018. I mean, it's always interesting to see. So then now a few other things here coming up. Uh, I've talked about a little bit last year, but I always like reminding people because we're in the time of year where some marriages are happening. It's always great when you get married. It's always wonderful, wonderful time. But some people get married October, November, December and think, well, guess what? I was single most of the year. I should be able to file a single, but guess what? That's not what the tax law says. (laughs) If you get married on December 31st, you're considered married for the whole year. Interesting. That is an interesting fact. Yeah, there. Now, another deal I'm going to touch on here real quick here is tax software. I'm going to be doing another program next week uh, in particular about tax software, do-it-yourself tax software. And also about how uh, tax professionals need to keep themselves relevant. But one thing I do want to mention, a lot of people may be listening to this program and may be doing your own taxes, and that, that's fine. But keep in mind that the tax software did it is not uh, an appropriate 
excuse for a mistake on a tax return to the IRS. It's a, it's a software's fault. Uh, they don't accept that. <laughs> so if you're using software to do your own taxes, just make sure uh, you got to be just doubly sure. That's why I, even as a tax professional, we have tax software built by tax professional companies that do it. And we have to just keep double checking and keep making sure that it's there. So that's where understanding the rules and the laws is so going to be so important as we go through everything. So it's why we're going to talk about it. And I'm going to move on here a little bit now as we talk. As a tax professional myself, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. Do you think in 20 years, Tiff, I would know everything about taxes? Unfortunately, I don't know if you will. In all of your years, I feel like things <laughs> keep changing and changing. And that's what I, I want to learn as I go. But I feel like it's an ongoing battle because things do change. Well, it is an ongoing battle. And the reason I'm going to say that is because depending on the taxpayer, we could be dealing with uh, pre-2018 rules because we've got people that are late filers. So if you have some come in from that has a 2017 return that hasn't been filed, guess what? That's a different set of rules than 2018, 19 and 20. <laughs> right. So, um, and there's a lot of other things that kick in there. So an answer, yeah, I, there's no way I know everything about taxes. I know people that I do professional training with every year. Uh, I just watched another video last night on something from a, from a professional that does continuing education. And he, and he just admitted there was, there was something there was something in, in a certain one of the proposed tax bills about something. He know, he says, I don't even know what that is. And I looked at it and I look, I says, I don't know what that is either. And unless it comes up, I'm not even going to go look for it because there's just so much out there depending what you're doing. And so it's, and if just, and just think of us as tax professionals, if we can't know everything, the poor individual trying to do the taxes on their own. <laughs> sure. Yeah, definitely. Lots of areas to make mistakes. Yes, lots of areas for mistakes there. It's it's there. So yeah, we keep looking, we keep working, we keep improving. And it's a constant learning process. And something also, there's a lot of they talk of the the like the 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 plan the president is talking about, the American family plan or whatever. There's a lot of tax provisions in that that most people don't realize. And the other part of it is that there's a good chance that if that does pass, which who knows if it will or not, but if it does pass, taxes will be going up for some people. And the sad part about it is from what I've read and what I've done about it, if you're in a self-employed person in particular, uh, uh, an S-corp, for example, like was what this business is, it could, it could be increasing my taxes. Because hmm. I could be making... Uh, like S corp shareholders who take distributions could now could, could if that passes become subject to self-employment tax, which that's a whole nother discussion, but still it just show it's just trying to keep up with up. This isn't law yet, but it's one of those things that could become law as of 2022. So, and there's a few other things in there. We might get into a good discussion about, or I might go ahead and bring out for you there. Now, another point I want to make here, as you go out and you talk to people, talk, talk to tax professionals there. Uh, is there anything in particular you think about, Tiff, when you think about having someone do your taxes? 
Um, one thing that was really interesting to me when I first started talking to you for the job, as well as just the taxes in general, was the amount of security um, that your office provides and that you, the way that you go about things and that things are not um, just sent through email and everything is secure here so that all of the information. So I think that's important um, when you do look for someone that it, your information is secure. Um, that was, there was a learning curve for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I see. And you think about it, how many people, it's interesting, how many people will uh, have like their friend, I will say friend, do their tax return through some type of do-it-yourself software. And you sit here and think, how secure is your information with your friend? Sure. doing your tax return that says, oh, I can do that and I can do it for whatever, or I can do it for free. It's like, uh, how's that? How secure is it? So that's just my big, that's my big thing as well. Now, another area, as we talked about uh, using a professional, like an enrolled agent, have you ever heard of an enrolled agent before you came came here, Tiff? I've heard of the term, but didn't it, it just never really occurred to me what I was looking for. I just, I've heard the term and it, to me, it was just what you were supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, and I've discussed this on other podcasts of how an enrolled agent is, is really under, what's the word here? Under publicized or just not really recognized as a tax professional even though myself as an enrolled agent, I am licensed, which means I'm licensed directly by the IRS. I mean, I got a little certificate on my wall and I do continuing education every year. They only require 24 hours, but guess what? I do probably about 50 <laughs> just okay. in trying to keep up with everything that I do. So that's what the EA after my name means. There's other terms that ones you, there's other well, professionals such as a CPA, which get all the publicity, uh, but one thing most people don't realize about CPAs, they do a great job, but not all CPAs do taxes. Okay. Is that, is that something new to you that not about not all CPAs do taxes? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Cause not, cause some, Hey, some do taxes and they do a great job, but others focus in other areas like auditing or international stuff. They, they, there's cause CPAs even broader, much broader than uh, an EA is. So, okay. But if you're really, when a person's really looking for someone to do their tax return, that's why an enrolled agent like myself is someone to go to because we, our specialty is, is taxes. Okay. That's what we go in and do. Now, granted, I admit, I don't know everything about every type of business or every type of tax situation, but I'll tell you, I, <laughs> it takes a lot to maintain and to be able to keep up there. We think about it when I first become an enrolled agent, when I in 2006 is when I got the, finally got the certificate, but I had to, uh, back then you had to go to Denver and sit through two days of testing, written tests, multiple choice tests, four tests, over four areas of taxation at the time. They've, they've updated now and they've changed it where you can go to a testing center and actually do over, do only three tests, but still it was a challenge to do. Sure. There. So it's, it's a big thing to think about when you're using a professional because you want someone who's going to do it. Now, other areas that we're going to talk, talk about and something that uh, as far as what we do here, which is I'm going to work on getting tip up to speed on is that we work also a lot more in the planning area, uh, 
year-round service. That's how a tax professional can really do service for their client, not just during the tax season, but year-round. Give them education. Uh, it's one of the reasons I do this program is to provide taxpayer education. But the direct people that I do business with, I want to help them throughout the year, through consultations, through tax planning. But we just need to just keep working together because the constant changing and constant efforts that people make need to be done, but we need to just keep up with it. And that's what we're going to work to. That's what we work to do here. So, so Tiff, I've been doing all the talking here, a lot of the talking anyway. <laughs> so what, what, uh, and of course I know you were just looking for a job and everything, but what, what excites you about being here? What do you like about, about working or about even the opportunity to come here and work here with this in this office? Yeah, the I'd say one of my strong suits and one of the things that I enjoy, I enjoy numbers. I like clean cut. Here's the, you know, the end. It's it's you get these two numbers equal these two numbers. And it, and it just everything is pretty clear cut. I, I like that part of it, I like having answers. Um, I I enjoy working with people. I've gotten used to that in previous jobs. I like um, just keeping in touch. And I like the fact that, like you said, you keep in touch with your clients throughout the year, not just during the busy season. And I like building that relationship with them and knowing what's going on in their world as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're trying. That's what we're endeavoring. And that's what we try to do. Uh, letters. Now, one thing we use letters and emails, of course, to contact people, but uh, one of the, Interesting things that happens in the tax business is the fact that people will, my clients do this and it's, 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 it is what it is, but some of them will open the letter, look at it, put it back in the envelope and then bring it with their tax stuff. And it was meant for them just to, for educational purposes, but Hey, everybody's, everybody's different. Sure. So, okay. So, so Tiff, let's, um, let's go into some of the questions that you you have to kind of help you to to understand things. Then, of course, help those listening to this to understand a little bit, a little bit more about where we're going and some of the things that that may come up along the way there. So, let me open up the floor to you. Okay. Um, one thing that I've always heard mentioned and just never looked into it because I never thought it pertained to me particularly, um, but was interested to know what actually makes you head of household when you file for taxes. I've heard the term used, but never, I guess, really knew what it meant. Yeah, that is a very uh, important term in the tax thing because everybody thinks, well, I make the most money or um, whatever, and I'm head of household. And you know what, what, where it comes up a lot is with married couples. Okay. Married couples, especially if there's uh, one individual in the home who makes more money or, or supports the home, they think, well, I'm head of household. Well, in some senses, yes, you are. <laughs> but when it comes to tax purposes, you are not. Okay. Is when it comes down to. Now, because if you're, when a person, when a couple is, is married, and this could be married either through common law or through just regular marriage certificate kind of thing. And, and the definition of common law, of course, varies from state to state. So we really can't do it now. Uh, I'll come back to this other point later. I was just thinking of, but sticking on the head of household thought here is that to be, Head of household, the first thing is you have to be uh, unmarried or considered unmarried at the end of the tax year. 
which basically means you have to be you have to be a single person. Okay. Or considered to be a single person. And so I see the thought or the look in your eyes going, okay, what's considered single or considered unmarried? That's like a whole that is a whole nother can of yeah. worms there, but that that's where it gets a little complicated. Considered unmarried. Now, just to help you out with that one, this is a provision in the tax law where it's kind of like an exception to the married rule. Okay. But there's qualifications for it. To be considered unmarried, your your spouse, the person you're married to, has to be out of the house between July 1st, from July 1st through the end of the year. The last six months, <clears throat> they cannot be in the same household. They cannot, they cannot even stay in that household one night. Okay. <laughs> they, hmm. you have to be, and you can be considered unmarried even though married. Now, I do encounter these situations from time to time uh, in divorce situations. Uh, right. Usually if a divorce is coming up or some cases, abandonment. Right. I've okay. had some in the past where, uh, for whatever reason, mom has left home with the kids, but dad went off who knows where and has been gone for, for the year. So, uh, and she has no contact with them or so. So that's where unmarried considered unmarried got to have. And that is the IRS is very specific about that. So that's, in fact, this head of household is so important that when people come to this office, they have to fill out a due diligence questionnaire professing that they are unmarried or considered unmarried. And there's a form that us as tax professionals have to submit with the tax return saying okay. that we've done due diligence on it. On that fact. On okay. that particular deal. There's a column for head of household on the, it's an 8867 uh, paid preparers due diligence form basically is what it's called. So yeah, so you have to be considered unmarried, but that's only the first step. <laughs> Head a household. Okay. Okay. Um, to be head of household, you have to also have a dependent. Okay. Which would be a qualifying child, which of course could be son, daughter in your home, living with you six months or more during the year. You must have that. You must okay. have that individual. Now there could be, there's another, another area called qualifying relative. Now that could be, that could actually be like a parent, could be a niece, a nephew, an uncle, someone that's related to you in some way that you provided support for 50% or more of the support for through the year as well. So you got to have that other individual to be okay. able to consider head of household. Uh, it's, it's very, very specific on that as well. And of course, you got to be providing 54 50% or more of the support for your home as well, for whatever home that you're providing there to be head of household. Now, this does get a little tricky when you have two single people living together. Right. Yeah, that's where it can get a little little tricky is because they they both can't, they 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 could they and and if children are if they each have their own children too and they're living together, that really gets a little tricky. Yeah, I, yeah. 
But the way that I, the way I always deal with that type of situation is okay. You have two single people, like each of them may have their own child from, from whatever circumstance. And then they come to file taxes. They try to boot file, file head of household. It's like, well, there's only one household. There's one address. So they both right. can't be head of household according to tax rules. So usually the, the one that gets the head of household will be the one that has the higher income. Okay. That gets that. And so with that, the other one could still claim their child or whatever, but they would be considered single. It does affect, of course, the refund, but that's where as coming in as tax professionals and when anybody who does business with this office, when we talk to you, we will ask all of these questions Okay. because what we do when we talk to you as the taxpayer here, whether it be through video conference or you're in the office, uh, we're going to ask these questions because it's, it's vital to know these things because we are subject to penalties as preparers sure. if we don't do this right. Sure. And I'm not, and we don't risk, and I don't risk myself. I don't risk uh, my assistant. We don't risk, we don't take those risks. And so if it all depends how you answer the questions and see here, we got that. That's trying to think of something else on head of household, but those are the major things on, on head of household. Now there is one more provision on the head of household, which I've also done over the years is that sometimes you'll have uh, in a, especially in a divorce situation, you'll have a case where a, a mom has the son living with her, but she allows the father to claim the son as a dependent on the tax return uh, or in this case, child tax credit. Anyway, it keeps changed. They, they eliminated exemptions a few years ago, but anyway, uh, you can claim the son as a dependent for like child tax credit, those kind of deals. Well, but even though in that, in that situation, though, the mom that has the son living with her can still claim head of household because that son lives with her. Okay. So she's still eligible for that filing. And that'd be true uh, in all situations like that. And then of course, there's another discussion regarding children and, uh, and who can claim children based on court orders, but that's a whole nother discussion there. But anyway, for head of household, that's, that's kind of how head of household fits in there, which is can be very, can be a lot. Right. But needs, but we got we got to muddle through that and we have to make sure you as a taxpayer know we're gonna ask these. And sure. you want to make sure you do it right there. So okay, let's 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 move on. Okay. What's next, Tiff? Um, so I guess this kind of stems into that if uh if you're if you are married, technically mm-hmm. married, um what is there a reason can you or would you ever file separately as opposed to married or what is the benefit or how does that work? When it comes to married filing separately, that is truly a case by case basis. I very seldom do a married filing separate return because with the people we do business, we've done business with over the years, it usually hasn't been advantageous. Now, there are circumstances where a, one spouse may decide, you know, I don't want to file with my, with, with my husband or wife or whatever. And sometimes where that happens is especially if there's a small business involved. Okay. Is that a, a sole proprietorship? Because uh, what happens when you file a joint tax return is that even if the the husband has a business and pays self and has self-employment tax due on the profit on his sole proprietorship. Where there could be an issue is that 
when the wife signs that tax return, essentially she becomes liable for that tax as well. Right. Now, there's other provisions which we won't get into that can that can help in that situation, but still, but overall, she becomes liable. Okay, that they, makes they, sense. They become jointly liable, and sometimes they'll they'll file separately for just because they don't want to be responsible for each other's taxes as well. Usually there's, uh, and depending on, and a lot of it depends on income. Sometimes at income, depending on income level, it may be more advantageous to file separately, but you're talking usually several hundred thousand dollars okay. Okay. of income before that happens. But it's possible where it could be as well as the fact, like if one has a lot of medical bills or they want to do certain or do certain itemizations, there may be an off, there may be an advantage to doing so. And what's nice about when we work with people, and I get that question actually a lot during tax season. Well, what happens if we file separately? It's really nice because I can go to the tax software, I press a button and I say, well, okay, well, right now you're saving $1,000 by filing jointly. Fair. As well as in filing separately, there are certain uh, tax credits and certain tax benefits that are lost. Okay. If you file separately as well. So it's, it's not always advantageous. So it's case by case. And in some cases it can work. So it just depends. Okay. Fair enough. Um, one question in this, basically what documents are you needed? Are you, do you need, should you show up to your tax tax professional with? Um, I always find my filing cabinet full of receipts <laughs> and statements and this and that. And I always wonder what, what really do I need? What do I need to keep? What do I need to present to mm-hmm. them? And um, what's the best way to go about that? Yes, that is an excellent, excellent question. And which is why when clients ask that question, we will provide a checklist essentially of this is what you need to bring because like you, there's a, there's a lot of unnecessary stuff brought most of the time, mm-hmm. which, you know, I think everybody's, and I, and everybody means well, they really do. And, you know, they just want to make sure they're prepared, but we get that, we get the stack of information or papers come in. It's like, you know, we really didn't need this, 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 or this. And sometimes we can figure, we can figure that out initially when we get the paperwork, we can, okay, wow. Well, we, we look at it. No, we don't need this. Sometimes we can send it back home with them. Yes. If they bring it in live, or even if they upload it, at least if they upload it, it's all electronic. We can just kind of skip through it. Now, of course, if you come in and file taxes, of course, if you if you have an employment, you use a W two uh, from wherever your employer is. The other the deal is ten ninety nines. Now there's various ten ninety nines, which is as you get to know here, Tiff, there'll be several of them. There's a one for interest, one for dividends, one for uh, uh, stock sales. There's ones for self-employed people. There's a an M or an NEC. There's all kinds of, and, and, you, and you need all of those. Now, if you're de- dealing with business records or your small business, uh, usually uh, people really need to work on organizing those before they bring them in here, especially by category and by date is would really be advisable uh, in your small business. Because the bottom line, if we have to go through that, we're going to charge you for it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, that's where we want to help people avoid even having to do those such those services. I mean, that's why we provide year-round services to help people stay organized because too many people in small businesses, they just kind of 
go by what's in the checking account. They don't really know if they're making money or not. They just go, oh, I got X amount in the checking account. I don't even really know what my business is making, but I, I got this much in my checking account, so I'm okay. Yeah. That's what a lot of people do. So yeah, so definitely if you're doing any type of sole proprietorship, I mean, we got reasonable reasonable rates to help one to be able to keep track of that stuff and use uh, some cloud-based software that we use. So yeah, but yeah, we, we usually provide, we'll provide a checklist to help ones to get organized. And those are on our website in our uh, client resources area for them. So, Okay. That kind of somewhat answers the next question and goes into this. It's a lump question, I guess. The What specifically is the difference between a W-2 and a 1099? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, keep in mind a W-2 is what you should get from me and what okay. you should get from your other employers, a W-2 at the end of the year. If your employer is doing things right, now, I did a whole program a few months ago on correctly classifying employees. Uh, under certain regulations, some businesses try to not classify their employees correctly, and they should be giving them a W-2 instead of a 1099. And that's another one of those things you don't want to mess with. Because if the IRS doesn't get you, your local state department of labor will get you. And the State Department of Labor is the one that's more likely going to get you. Okay. I've actually had audits on such things in the past with clients, and they ended up having to pay. The state wasn't too bad, but they ended up having to pay quite a bit to the IRS because you have to, not only does it affect the state, what you do at the state level affects the federal level too, because they got they got to be matching. Okay. So, so yeah, W two as an employee now a ten ninety nine is issued should be issued out to. Uh, sole proprietors and individuals to whom you pay $600 or more to during the year. And that could be rent or other type of income or a lot of pay- various types of payments you make to them. And there's actually two, two of these common ones that are given to people. One's a 1099M, which uh, has things like rents, other income, and some other uh, little boxes on it. Then there's the 1099NEC, which is non-employee compensation, uh, which is basically for your contractors and those to whom you pay like for services, like could be your plumber, could be, uh, could be anybody that you pay a service to. Basically, if it's a sole proprietor, you got to issue it out. So, which is, I ran into this a few years ago, had a place call me and say something to me. And I'm like, well, I'm not a, I'm not a sole proprietor. I'm, I'm a corporation. They're like, oh, okay. They're actually happy because they don't have to issue a 1099 out to a corporation under current law. So, um, okay. One less there and see. And then we got some businesses where we actually prepare these out, these NECs and send them out to people. So there's a big difference. And keep in mind, if you're on it, if you get a 1099, you're likely going to pay self-employment tax, which is why it's such a big issue. Because that's, of course, self-employment tax is social security and Medicare paid by you as the individual for, which is normally if you have a W-2, half of that is paid by the employer. Okay. And you and you pay half out of your check. As a self-employed person, you pay all of that. You pay both sides of that, which is like which works out about fifteen percent. Okay. And we always and we always plan for that with contractors. We try to have them do it and try to have them make uh, estimated payments. Always recommend it, but not everybody always does it. So anyway, sure. That's uh. So what's next? So I guess that we might as well go on this role that we've started here. Um, if you are self-employed obviously you're getting no W-2. What documents 
should you be keeping or bringing? Um, how do you record all of your stuff uh, at the end of the year to file for taxes? Well, as a self-employed sole proprietor, basically, whether you're getting paid cash, which is the big one, if you're getting paid cash, that still counts. Cash <laughs> is still counts. Um, you need to you need to be keeping some type of a record or log of it, which okay. is why once again why we provide a uh, we have a sheet to help you track income for those that aren't so technical for those that are technical we can definitely help you track all of that now in tracking income it usually helps to have a separate bank account for your business right I've heard because that the biggest mistake especially sole proprietors make is not having a separate bank account and not and they're constantly co-mailing funds, which granted on a sole proprietorship, it is okay. You're not going to get penalized by the IRS for it. But from a business and practical and tax standpoint, it's not very wise. Because you got to okay. be able to keep your personal expenses separate. That helps you to do that as well as helps you to really track your expenses better, especially if you're using a debit card, they're all in one place. Sure. Or if you designate using a credit card for business expenses, just use that credit card for business expenses okay. and just and keep them all separate. If you're writing checks, which some businesses are still writing checks out, that way you have it all neatly lined up there in there. And then of course your receipts or whatever, make sure you keep those by category and some type of filing system and by date as well. So that uh, if we need to look through them, we can easily find, okay, I need to match this with this. Boom. I got it. I'm good to go. Or if I, especially if you buy that $5,000 piece of equipment or whatever, we need to go look at some things and, and try to find that, try to match that up there. So yeah, you need to make sure all those documents are there, which we can help you get organized. But again, you as the client needs to follow the, follow the instruction and the suggestions. In the, in the end, it really saves you money, saves money paying us and saves money in paying tax to the IRS, which is what, I, wouldn't you rather be paying us than the IRS at least? Well, exactly. Yes. <laughs> we would prefer that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. That makes sense. And and, and I guess the, the next question kind of goes with that, because I guess I would see this a lot more with self-employed people or people running a business. Taxes on bartered goods and services. So you trade out your services for somebody else's services. That's where I've heard and seen things get sticky. And I've heard people say, well, if we do this, then we don't have to pay a tax on it because we traded this for that. Or like, how, how, technically, how does that all work? Okay. When you're talking about bartered goods and services, and you, you really touched on it, mentioned trading. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Money's not exchanging between that. They're trading sometimes. And I hear people do this all the time. Well, I had so-and-so give me this or they went and did this work for me to cover whatever that they did for me. What most people don't realize is that this exchange, this fair market value of the goods that you gave them or services that you provided. So I'll give an example. Say I do a tax return. I charge $800 for a tax return. And said person, I'm going to tell, okay, it's going to be $800 for this tax return. And this gentleman says, okay, well, I, I can go over and cut this tree down for you that I'd normally charge $800 for. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, that could be good. Now, 
No, wait a minute. That's not a good, well, if I had a tree on my business, let me keep that. I had a tree on my business. I had a tree that needed to be trimmed around my business or taken down around my business that this gentleman could do for $800, but I was going to charge him $800 for the tax return. Okay. Okay. I do the tax return. It's worth $800. He cuts down the tree. It's worth $800. Now, according to IRS rules, even though I didn't collect money or I didn't collect that $800, that's still income to the business. I should be reporting that. Okay. Okay. Now, I paid $800 for this service. This guy did $800 and basically worked for me. I can take the, I can turn around and take that $800 as like a maintenance expense. In okay. the end, it comes out as a wash, but lack of reporting of such is where you can get into trouble with the IRS. Okay. So, it needs to be recorded regardless, even though it may not have any monetary change mm-hmm. or anything like that. Okay. And now, and, and, and there's an and to this as well, <laughs> is that this gentleman that I pay that I normally would have paid $800 to, I also have to give him a 1099 for $800. Right. <laughs> as well, because that's the value of the services he provided to me in trade. Okay. For that, for doing that tree. So that's how it's supposed to be done. Okay. Now, I, I, that's why I usually don't do any trading. Sure. Because <laughs> I don't even want to go there. It gets, yeah, it gets muddled, I'm sure. The, it gets a lot of muddle in there. And I hear clients say this and I try to ask a question about it and stuff. And sometimes you just got to run with what you got. But technically, yeah, you should. It should be reported both ways. It washes out usually, but it still should be reported both ways. Now, that's in the best interest of the taxpayer. That way, if there is an audit at a, at a date, you have the documentation saying, hey, yeah, we I reported it here, and here's the expense. We're good to go. Okay. So. Fair enough. Um, next question. What is considered taxable income versus non-taxable income? Oh, well, first thing I will say is cash payments. I will stress this: cash payments received as a sole proprietor is still considered taxable income. Okay. They talk about paying under the table. Mm-hmm. Well, whether it's under the table, above the table, around the table, the IRS don't care. It's income. Sure. <laughs> cash cash payments are as much as income as anything else when you're getting receiving money for services rendered, even as a self-employed person. So that's vital. Now, okay, back to taxable. Now, of course, there's many phases to this, which include wages. Of course, wages you receive as an employee if you receive interest on your bank accounts. Uh, capital gains from sale of, of property could be sale of property, could be sale of stock, could be all kinds of different things there. Now, one that uh, also is there is, ent- I got, is entity flow through income. So if you're, uh, you have a partnership or like an S corporation, that uh, issues you a K-1 out for your business, well, issues you a K-1 as in part owner of the business, well, that income is also considered taxable to you. Now, the interesting part on that is you may, you may have, say you have $5,000 of flow through income from an S corporation, you may not even have even gotten that $5,000 or even touched that $5,000 or been distributed that $5,000, but it's still taxable income to you because you're part owner in the business. Okay. And there's a lot of other facts that come in, a lot of other types of taxable income. We're talking like uh, 
most many retirement plan distributions, uh, IRA distributions you get. Now, some of these, of course, we're talking uh, have to be also over and above the your filing status, like Mary, there's the standard deduction. They also have to exceed that as well. But many, in many cases, these do. So it's just some th- basically, and there's a broad, broad definition for taxable. Even one thing that most people don't realize is that even scholarships amounts can be considered taxable income. And there's a little trick you can do with those to help uh, parents and students to get some, some tax benefits, even though it's considered taxable. But there's some tricks in there I learned this last year that are really, really good with that. So in some circumstances. Now, as far as non-taxable, usually Social Security is non-taxable. However, there are times when Social Security can become taxable depending on income for individuals. Yeah, so it's, and I encounter this with several people a year. Here's a a fact regarding Social Security taxability is that Social Security became taxable back in 1986. And the amounts they use to determine that, whether it's taxable or not, have not changed since 1986. Really? It's the same amounts. Mm-hmm. So the percentage of people who pay tax on their social security has greatly increased between 1986 and 2021. Hmm. It's, it's a fascinating fact. Uh, also considered like dividends from a municipal bonds. Those are usually non-taxable. And even that includes like a mutual fund as well. Now they, they're used for other calculations, but you usually don't pay tax on them for the most part. If a person does foster care in their home, that's an example. That's, that's a, like a reimbursement from the county to take care of the child. You don't pay tax on that. And then like if you get a reimbursement from your employer for, for some business-related expense you have and your employer reimburses you for that, that's usually considered non-taxable income as well. And there's a few other areas, but those are kind of some of the main ones to kind of kind of get a... So a little would, bit of that answered there and the most common ones that, that we encounter anyway. Okay. That, that makes sense. So the, like the non-taxable reimbursement and stuff would be like uh, if you had purchased fuel for a vehicle on a business trip or something like that, the employer reimburses you. Is that non-taxable? Uh, that could be now. Yeah. Yeah. That's an example. That would also, that there'd have to be like an accountable plan in the business to do such setup to do that. Okay. So in certain cases. So, but yeah, basically some, something of that nature can be. Yeah. Okay. Now when we do and things that I'm learning even more now, um, we separate out all of our expenses in our businesses into a lot of different categories. Does income get separated other than taxable, non-taxable? Is there any other differences in how we separate it? Or is income basically just income? Uh, well, for, just record keeping purposes, I'd, I'd suggest uh, having like the sources of income separated. Okay. Sometimes on a tax return, I'll go in and and I'll put, because there's just one line for income, like gross income on the tax right. form. But you go in uh, for record keeping purposes, it, it's not, it's it's good to know, okay, well, we made like uh, for, for this type of service, we made this much. For this type of service, we made this much, which is usually that's more in like a profit and loss kind of statement is where most of those are because usually we'll just take that number right there and just plug that in on the tax return. That's more of a, that's more in the bookkeeping area than for the tax areas as far as the source of the income there. Uh, okay. Unless, unless you're dealing with uh, like inventory, then that kind of adds another little quirk into it, but sure. Well, sure. we don't need to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, 
this this one has always um, kind of boggled me a little bit, and I and I have a little bit of an understanding of it. But when and on what is depreciation applicable, and are there reasons? to depreciate things as opposed not to on your taxes and can you or not? Well, depreciation is a, we can do a whole show just about depreciation, (laughs) frankly, but uh, just kind of the short and trying to get some stuff here. Depreciation is usually on equipment and property that has a useful life of over one year. And those rules have actually, I I would say lightened up over the last few years because uh, now certain, certain items that you had to depreciate uh, that were under $2,500, you had to depreciate. But now there are, the, there are rules that allow you to actually deduct these items that are under $2,500 or less, which is uh, uh, if they have a use, long, useful life, but they're under $2,500, usually you can just deduct them without having to depreciate them. You, uh, a business can choose to depreciate these items, but and they can actually make an election to say, okay, we don't want to do 20. We, we don't want to uh, expense everything under 2,500. We want to expense everything only a thousand or less. And then you can depreciate above that. There's some elections that kick in there, but when you're getting into larger items that are over 2,500, then usually you do depreciate them over time. And that's where on a case by case basis is I deal with a taxpayer because you got to do what's best for the taxpayer, not just in the present year, but you got to do it thinking ahead to future years as well. And so there's a little quirk in the law for property that's uh, for several years of property. Uh, right now, it's at least up to 15-year property that you can take bonus depreciation on, which would be 100% deduction. Or, of course, you can take Section 179 as well if you elect out of bonus. Now, unfortunately, what many tax professionals do is that a certain item will come in like a vehicle or some type of farm machinery. They'll just come in and just take that bonus depreciation or they'll just section 179 off that depreciation, that that item immediately. Now, you can, yes, but is it the best thing for the taxpayer? Not necessarily. Because if a, if a taxpayer has like $100,000 in profit, and they got that $50,000 piece of equipment, well, maybe maybe take it off. Take that $50,000 deduction on the bonus depreciation or the Section 179, which actually I'm more of a fan of Section 179 than a bonus depreciation, but that's just my personal preference as a tax professional. So in that case, I may take that. But if the taxpayer has... Uh, only like $25,000 of profit, and they got this $50,000 piece of equipment. If you take the bonus, you're going to have a $25,000 loss, and you'll get no further benefit of that equipment. So what you got to keep in mind is that, and if you take a net operating loss forward, it doesn't go against self-employment tax as well. That's the other part that has to be considered. So what could be done is that you can either... Take that piece of equipment. If you got a $25,000, well, you can take like $20,000 a section 179 and then just depreciate the rest over time so that you get some that year and you get some in future years. Okay. So it you can only, be separated. I mean, yeah. I, I separate it out because it really depends on the needs of the taxpayer and what's going to be good for them. 
That's what it comes down to depreciation wise, which is I'm just not one size fits all in depreciation. So anyway, but you know, Tiff, this has been fabulous. You've had a great conversation here. Your questions were just wonderful. And guess what? We're running out of time. It just flew by, (laughs) didn't it? It did. It did. (laughs) So you have any questions? I'm just going to just talk to everybody. You have any questions about anything that came up today or even further questions? You're always welcome to give us a call. It's 844-394-4287. Success at CashTracksFinancial.com is our email address. And just so you know, now you could be talking to me or you could be talking to Tiff and eventually uh, we will be so willing to help you and help you to schedule a free mutual exploration session just to come in and see, hey, is the services here Cash Tracks Financial for you? We want to help you. And all taxpayers don't matter if you're what part of the country you're in. That's a great part of being an enrolled agent. We can help you get through it. We have excellent uh, security, a secure portal to be able to send your information back and forth, uh, cloud-based software to help you on accounting and taxes. And so, definitely here to help you out. So we would just want to, again, thank you so much for listening today. It's been a beautiful session. Again, Tiff, I thank you and appreciate you joining the team here at Cash Tracks Financial. So we're going to look forward to big things over the next uh, few years as we endeavor to help people save money on their taxes. So have a good day, all, and thank you. We will talk to you again next week. Again, 9 a.m. Pacific, as always, as I thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with Marcelino Dodge on the Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for listening to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. We'll be back again next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll have more to share next week.